Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. And God, we're present in this sanctuary mindful of what you've given us. And God, today we thank you that we can celebrate your birth. Celebrate what you've done and celebrate, God, that birth and what it symbolized for us and to us. So, God, today we open up our minds and our hearts and we're present in this place to receive from you. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Amen. You know, I want to talk about something today and I'm I'm really titling it uh, Remembrance of the Gift. Remembrance of the gift. Now, if you actually didn't know this, remembrance is used a few times in the New Testament. Um, and it's a Greek word, anamnesis. And what that word actually means, anamnesis, is to call forth in, this, in your mind's eye and to posture looking upon. To call forth in your mind's eye and to posture looking upon. So essentially what I'm challenging us to do today is as we sit here talking about the Christmas story, what we're doing is is we're opening our mind and it's almost like this place where we call forth and remember the birth of Jesus and what it symbolizes to us. Anomnesis, this do in remembrance of me, it talks about in using the word communion in that passage in Romans, but to call forth in our mind's eye picturing The gift of what Jesus' birth was for you. Now, for a lot of us in this room, I I actually had a reason that I asked you um, about to remember your first gift. Why? Because, you know, I don't know. uh, It it is getting to the point in my life where uh, outside of my in-laws, it is kind of funny. I get more Christmas now than I ever got as a kid for my in-laws, which are, they're here in the back, and you can stare at them, Amy and Sean, yeah, anyway, uh, don't worry, I got more jokes lined up, when when my mother-in-law is here, we let them rip, we let them rip, anyway, but I get, uh, it's funny, because I was thinking about the gifts that that, that I've gotten over my life, and I think that this is what I want to kind of dial in in this story is the gift isn't just Jesus but there's very there's a lot of layers in the story of what Jesus's birth the gifts that were symbolized now even you can talk about that the gifts the wise man gave that's a whole nother element but but I think for a lot of us I want to start this place and before we even read the story I want to start this place of you realizing that you deserve the gift just as much as anybody else As sad as it is today, there is debate almost in which we can go to church, we can be in Christian environments, and we can believe that other people have access to gifts that we don't. We can believe that other people have, man, they get, well, my command, like God's gift on his life, like, man, that's great for him. I could never have that. No, this is the first reminder I want us to get to this place is this gift is for all of us, and it's the same for all of us. And what we do with that gift is our own choice. But I pray that we never come into the sanctuary, never come into this building, and we can discredit or disqualify what the gift means to you. And the gift is for you. The gift is to follow him and to pursue him. The gift is to believe that he can wash your sin away. The gift is that he can give you purpose and meaning. The gift is a lot of things. But it starts with you realizing that it is just as much for you as it is for me. 
And I think for some of us, we can sit in this room and say, yeah, I believe in the gift, but we can disqualify and discredit what that gift is to us because, well, I've done this, or I wasn't raised in the church, or I don't really know all the stuff, or I've never really, I don't spend a ton of time in the Bible, or, oh, I'm really inconsistent in my walk, or, oh, you know, I try, but I make the same dumb decisions all the time. And it's just easy to come in this place and disqualify and discredit what this gift means to all of us based off of what our performance we think dictates that gift is. That's not how it works. There's a fairness in this gift. You know, a few years ago, my how many of you guys were raised with parents um, that are like uber fair? And what I mean by this, I know some people are like, well, what do you mean? Okay, my mom, every Christmas, same dollar amount, right? You can, every Christmas, same dollar amount on every kid and grandkid, okay? And some might get more, some might get less, but it's just based off your gifts because it's the same dollar amount down to the cent. And if you don't quite get the cent, then we'll write you a check up to the cent, right? Some of us, anybody got parents like that? No, some people love their other kids more than others. Faith in, or faith in Caleb, <laughs> My mother-in-law's in here. She, I don't even know why either. Like, Grace is perfect. And out of all the kids, my, my wife's family, I love my wife. But her brother, Tyler, is insane. He's incredible. It's like, and, and Amy likes Caleb and Faith. Anyway, I don't understand. Um, <laughs> but fairness, fairness, right? Where, where you grow up and your parents, you know, I like, that's my favorite question to ask parents. Like, who's your favorite kid? It's like, oh, no, like, I love them all. And you're like, eh, I know which one you love more. <laughs> right, Keith? Um, but I, I say that because I, I'm not kidding. I remember the first time. I'll never forget this. I'm, we're at family, a family gathering, and obviously we live far away. And so I remember something came up where my sisters were talking about shopping at Costco. And I remember looking at them, and I'm like, I'm like I know we're all kind of poor and cheap, so I know you didn't buy a Costco membership. And so I look at them. I'm like, oh, you got a Costco membership. And they're like, oh, yeah, mom bought it for us. I said, mom bought you, you too, you too, not the four, two, one, two, a Costco membership, and didn't buy me and Josh a Costco membership. Now, how many of you guys know Costco memberships today are like gold? <laughs> You're like, God, please, like, I can't survive, Lord. It's like, first world problems, I gotta have a Costco membership. Um, but I, I remember my mom's like, my mom is like, I go to her and I'm like, mom, did you know? She goes, what do you mean? I said, did you know you bought the girls' Costco memberships and not the boys? And my mom was like, immediately, I can see it in her face. She's just like, oh, it wasn't like that. <laughs> wasn't like that. I'm like, you sure it wasn't like that? Because it seems like you favored the girls over the boys. And I'm used to that in Grace's family, but not in mine. And, and I remember my mom, my mom, is, my mom like laughs and she goes, no, I, I don't remember what happened. But to this day, I kid you not, I will bring up every time I see my mom. Mom, you remember those Costco memberships? Because it was so rare for her to not treat us all fairly because that's just who she was. But before we get into this story, I want you to realize that God treats us all fairly because that's just who he is. 
That there is no, he loves certain people more than others. He loves certain political stances more than others. He loves certain skin colors more than others. He loves certain socioeconomic classes more than others. He loves certain college educations more than others. No, that's not the God we serve. The God we serve is fair. He's true. And he loves you intrinsically and individually with purpose. So with that today, we are going to be focusing on the Christmas story. And that Christmas story we're going to be focusing on is a little bit different. Why? Because most churches that you go to, the typical passage of scripture that they will focus on is in the book of Luke. Now, why would they focus on that passage? And why am I a betting man if I said, listen, if you go to any other church, they're going to mostly focus on Luke? Is because if you actually know anything about Luke, Luke was a physician. Not only was he a physician, but his gospel is extremely detailed. If you put Luke and Matthew's gospels next to each other, Luke blows his away. The detail in it, the, the, the descriptions within it, the understanding of what goes on in it. I mean, it is a, the, Luke did a good job on it. But here's the thing. It's very different than Matthew's. Now, many of us are like, okay, well, why? And that's actually what I want to talk about as we, we discuss today. is the difference between Matthew and Luke's gospel and why we're going to focus on Matthew's. We're going to read Luke's at the very end as we worship with one final song this morning. But Matthew's gospel is almost like scatterbrained. And what I mean by that is when you read the gospel, what you'll see is he focuses on wise men, doesn't mention shepherds, doesn't mention the decree that went out, doesn't really, it doesn't really go into a ton of detail. It's just like he talks about wise men like four or five times. You know what's even more interesting is if you look in the gospel of Luke that wise men are not mentioned. Now, some of us are like, okay, are we going to spend the whole morning on wise men today? No, but they are going to be a heavy emphasis Because there's some things about the wise men that I don't know if any of us have truly thought through that have a gift for you today. And like I said, we're going to focus on Matthew Matthew specifically, but and I personally believe Luke is the better description of the Christmas story. It is. But why is it that Matthew tells his story in his way. What you have to understand is this. Luke and Matthew wrote their Gospels almost side by side in the same time frame. Many scholars believe it's about 50 years after the death of Jesus these Gospels are being written. And what we can find out is that Luke, the physician, is trying to get all of the details. But if you really study Matthew, you find that Matthew has a heart for the Gentiles. Now, Gentile is another word for somebody who was not raised Jewish, who was not raised in the Christian faith. So Matthew writes his gospel, and if you notice him focusing on certain aspects, the reason he's focusing on these aspects is because he's trying to drive home a point to the Gentiles. You want to know what that point is? You have just as much access as the Jews. That's why we talked about fairness from the beginning. Because whether you know this or not, from the very beginning of the gospel, the debate has raged Do I have a seat at the table if I was not born, bred, and indoctrinated in Christianity from the moment my eyes opened? That has been the debate forever. Matthew writes his gospel and essentially what he's writing to an audience of people who think they can be disqualified and to be discredited. So when he tells about the birth of Jesus, he is trying to drive home a point of, hey, guess what? You have access. Not only do you have access, but you have a purchased gift for your life from this gift of a baby that is more than you could ever think or imagine. And what you might find within this particular story 
is that you might find that you're in the story a little bit as well. So like I said, Matthew, we're going to read. And then we're going to focus on some of the core attributes of it. So you might want to put your Bible helmets on. We're reading like 15 verses. Matthew 1, 18 through verse 25. And we're going to go through 2, 1 through 12. It says this. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Pause, verse 18. This is what's interesting. See, when we read the Bible today, what we do is we take our our lens in which we know of Scripture and, and religion, and we go, okay, the Holy Spirit, yeah, obviously gave birth, you know. But when Matthew writes this particular term, Holy Spirit, out 50 years later after this moment, or 50 years after Jesus' death. See what, the Holy Spirit wasn't this term that was talked about when Jesus was birthed. It didn't really even exist then. You see it talked about a ton in the book of Acts, and you see kind of some reference in the gospel, but before this time, it doesn't really make sense. And so, for him to introduce the thought, hey, the Holy Spirit can do something inside of you and make a miracle come out, is something that he did on purpose. And I'm pausing here first because I need you to understand this. What we believe here, and here at our church, is we're big on spiritual formation. So we're inwardly formed by God, but outwardly facing in our world. Meaning that we believe the Holy Spirit can be inside and form something inside that makes a difference on the outside. And this is a great reminder because... Matthew starts and he goes, hey, guess what? Joseph and Mary, they didn't, ha- they didn't do the deed and it happened. No, there was something God did inside of her that no one could explain and that is not possible but gave birth to something that changed the world. Isn't this the foundation of faith that God could do something inside of you through his Holy Spirit that gives birth to something in your outward life that would make a difference in this world. Let's continue to read. It says this. Verse 19, and her husband Joseph, since he was a righteous man and did did not want to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had thought this over, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her as of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Do you notice that language Matthew used? He says, listen, he's going to give birth to a son, and the number one thing he's going to do, save his people from their sin. See, this is what I bring back to this equality and and fairness of God and the reminder of that today is that what is Jesus' birth a symbolism of? That you have equal right to have your sin taken away, to have grace from heaven extended on your life, and for you to have purpose and meaning in the life that you lead. And so as we continue to read, I want us to be present around that thought. It says this, verse 22, Now all this took place so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which translates, great promise here, God 
with us. Do you believe God can be with you? Because if you sit here and in your mind you're like, oh, I don't know if I can believe God can be with me. This is a great sermon for you. Because we started with the belief that let's all center around the fact that God is called, wants to be with all of us. He wants to forgive all of us. We all have an equal right. We all have an equal share. And so to sit here and say, I don't know if God really wants to be with me is contradicting what God has already said he wants to do, which is be with you. And at the same time, it's also this inflection point of our own souls in which we can sit back and say, man, if I don't think God wants to be with me, why is that? Why is that that I could sit in a room in which we talk about the birth of Jesus, talk about the promise of him wanting to be with you? And why is it that in this place, even though I'm knowing what has been written thousands of years ago, even though I know the pastor is, is kind of long-winded and he's preaching this and I, it kind of makes sense, why is it I could sit in this room and doubt what has been said? And that's why we're talking about the remembrance of the gift. Because so often we can sit and be present, hoping, believing, and practicing faith, but not actually hoping, believing, and posturing ourselves to believe that that faith has made a way for new life in us. Let's continue to read. Lost my spot. Give me two seconds. Oh, there it is. Verse 24. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and named him Jesus. Verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. Verse 6, And you, behold, you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for from you will come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people. Verse 7, Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and determined... From them, the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I may too come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star, which they had seen in the east, went on ahead of them until it came to a stop over the place where the child was to be found. Verse 10, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after they came into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And after being warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left their own country by another way. If you notice, how much time is being devoted to the wise men here? In my opinion, way too much. Why? Because they... They don't show up anywhere else. Now we know in Luke's gospel it mentions a ton about shepherds and that makes sense because we know that in the Old Testament there's tons of talk about shepherds. Tons. There's prophecies about shepherds. There's David who was a shepherd. I mean there is tons of imagery for why you would talk about a shepherd in the story of Jesus. Why are we talking about wise men? 
See, that's what I want to spend the majority of today on, this birth of Jesus, and why the wise men are so important to understanding the symbolism of this birth. If you notice also in this story, the star is mentioned not once, not twice, not three times, but it is mentioned multiple times throughout this story. A star, look for the star, we're following a star, the star settled above the manger, we saw a star in the east. And it's so interesting because it's like one of those things when you start breaking it down, like, okay, imagine if somebody came up to you and they're just like, yeah, we saw a star in the sky and we're from the way east, but we saw it and, you know, we study stars and now we're just like following it because we think it could be over a savior. In today's day and age, you're like, oh, you're on drugs. (laughs) And we read this story, we're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, totally. Like, yeah, they saw a star. Like, duh. Leave their homes, get on some camels, go for weeks. Like, sure. So what I want to talk about today, and we're going to focus on this a lot, but I'm kind of titling it Three Reminders of Gifts You Should Never Forget That Are Wrapped in the Christmas Story. I love that title personally, but you don't have to. (laughs) Three Reminders of Gifts You Should Never Forget That Are Wrapped in the Christmas story. The three gifts that are wrapped in this story, the first one I want you to realize of this is this. Number one, if your eyes are open, your heart is open, he speaks profoundly. No matter who you are and how far from him you are. Now, for a lot of us, we're like, okay, well, that sounds like a a sermon that I've heard a billion times. No, I'm going to back this up with something because what you have to understand is when you start studying the stars and what was going on here, this is actually something that's corroborated in history. Now, what I'm about to read to you uh, comes from, I read a lot of Bible commentaries. One of my favorite Bible commentaries is called The Bible Speaks Today. Uh, In this Bible commentary specifically, it's written by a New Testament uh, Bible scholar by the name of Michael Green. But in it, um, when I was studying these passages, I want to read to you something about the Magi and the wise men that I, I think you might find interesting. So with that, I want you to understand first this. Years before Jesus' birth in 44 B.C., it says that Julius Caesar, as he's being buried as Roman as the first kind of Roman governor, has one of the most astonishing flukes in history that happens. A nova, thought to be a new star, appeared in the sky above his funeral. Everyone then assumed that Julius had gone to the Pathium of the gods. Therefore, stars after that point going forward in 44 B.C., were to be claimed for great men and their occasion and symbolism of something new in the sky became something that wise men and astronomers constantly studied and had their eyes on. Think about it today. Why would men just be staring at the sky? Oh, new star, we got to run after it. And we read this story all the time, and I don't think any of us have really thought about it. Why would people just be staring at the sky? They see a star and just, all right, pack it up, let's hit it. And once again, it's back to history. 44 BC, Julius Caesar dies, and above his funeral, a nova happens. That then 
postures the Roman Empire to be a people who would study the skies for signs of what is to come. Now, how many of you guys know people who study stars in the skies to come, that really sounds a whole lot like the Christian faith. Does it? Why? Because we don't just stargaze and like, oh, that, that must be God telling me like that tomorrow I'm going to meet my husband. <laughs> Or, oh, that new star, like, okay, great, I'm going to get a new car next week. Like, no, it doesn't really make any sense. Why would the intersection of faith and study of stars be something that is so important that Matthew has to drive the point home again and again and again? You know, the craziest fact of all, as it relates to the wise men that I found is this, and this is once again from a Bible scholar by the name of Michael Green in his Matthew commentary, he wrote this. Why did the Egyptian wise men just think randomly, let's go to Jerusalem out of the entire world? Why would they pick that one place? Why did they end up in the palace asking Herod specifically about this star? Historians believe that there was no new star in the sky as much as a convergence of planets. So what I'm trying to say is they don't believe that there was just a star above Jesus' birth. They believe there were planets that converged. And what these planets symbolized is this. They were the conjection, and this is believed to be that that star in the sky was two planets coming together, and it was Jupiter and Saturn in an area of the sky known as the Pisces. This is recorded as happening three years in the believed year in which Jesus gave birth, 7 BC. It has been recorded as being seen in Babylon in the observatory of Sippar and by a famous astronomer by the name of Kepler. So what I'm trying to say is in three instances, people are looking at the sky. They see planets intersect looking like a new star in a specific part of the sky. And all three people, for some reason, it's trickled throughout history. Let's keep reading. It says this. Here's what's even more fascinating. Pisces, the part of the sky that this star showed up in, was believed to be the ending of a sun or star's old course and the beginning of something new. Jupiter was always viewed as a planet of royalty. And for some unknown reason, Saturn in the ancient world had been used to symbolize Israel. So why did they end up in Jerusalem? They see a star in the sky and they're like, oh, let's go to Jerusalem. Why? All three of these things intersecting, Jupiter and Saturn, overlapping in the area of the sky Pisces that have been seen by three different astronomers in history, was what was believed to tell them that a new era was coming to an end, and a new one beginning in which royalty and sovereignty would shift to Israel. So what did they do? They went to the capital of Israel, assuming that they would know Something was happening, but they didn't. Why do I tell you this? Because the the wise men saw something with their backdrop that no religion had taught them. They saw something that no, no indoctrination, no upbringing, no circumcision covenant, no perfect time serving in church, no Bible college degree. You remember what Herod did? He called all the scribes in and he says, hey guys, what are these dudes talking about? They're looking at the sky predicting that a king is here. We're the religious capital of the world. Judaism is birthed in this place, Jerusalem. How are we missing this? 
and they saw something. Why is that important? Matthew's entire gospel on the birth of Jesus is focused on the wise men. These would be classified as Gentiles or non-converted peoples. They were not followers. They should not have been open to the message of Jesus and in all honesty would be the last people you would think that would bring gifts to Jesus. And that's the beauty of it. The gift today is the reminder that that gift is for all people. And even more than that, I say to you today, if your eyes are open and your heart is open, he speaks profoundly no matter who you are. That is the entirety of that entire passage on wise men is no matter what your walk with God looks like, if your heart is open, your eyes are open, he will speak to you. And that is a gift worth unwrapping today. My second thing is this. I'm not going to go too much longer, I promise. From the beginning, his purpose has been you. Everything written, remembered, and spoken about is designed to get you to see that it's all for a relationship with you. Jesus' birth is an invitation. And that invitation is to believe that what has been given for you can be better than anything you could choose for yourself. You know, I, I say this because I think for a lot of us, we forget that the wise men bring three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When you study these particular things that they brought, the irony of the men who were raised with no religious experience of the Torah, they were not from a holy nation of Israel, why would they give these three gifts? What is the symbolism of people who do not even understand the prophecies in which they are walking in? Gold, designed for royalty or high class. Frankincense, most common use in the Old Testament is temple function. To keep the temple and myrrh an embalming agent. Isn't it interesting that these guys who have no understanding of what they're doing give three specific gifts that have, you know, varying meaning to them, but to us today, you're like, oh, gold, he's worthy. Frankincense, he will build the temple. Third, He'll die, and this will be used to embalm him. Isn't that interesting when we start talking and understanding who God is, is that this gold is a symbol of greatness, this frankincense a reminder of purpose, but myrrh, the symbol of sacrifice of what he will be ushered into. And I hope you understand that everything written and remembered and spoken about is designed to get you to see. See, we, a lot of people, what we want to focus on is the gold and the frankincense, meaning God is holy, he is worthy, and he is incredible. Or we want to focus on that frankincense where it's like, yes, God, you fill the temple, and I am your temple, and all of these things, but the myrrh, that that baby would be murdered so that you could have access to something you could have never had access on your own. I hope you understand today that this story is designed to get you to see that birth is for you to have a new birth in him. My final point today. There are two kings and kingdoms in this story, just as there are two kings and kingdoms in your story. These contrast each other as they fight for control of the outcome and fight for control of the hearts of the people. 
Kings we swear loyalty to in the fallen world will only fail. The choice of following the true king comes down to choosing the manger over the palace, the stable over the crown, the child over the man. These pictures do not make sense, but that is the beauty of it. To choose something that relinquishes control and makes your life a life about him. You know what's interesting? The wise men, they show up and they're faced with a choice. And the choice is this. Will we honor the king's commands or will we honor the king in the baby's protection and command? And what I mean by that is I believe a lot of us, whether we know this or not, we're born into a world where we have to choose the king's and kingdoms of a fallen world or the belief that the kings and the kingdoms of heaven will take care of us more than anything ever could on this earth. And see, that is the gift of reminder to you is that when you relinquish control of swearing allegiance to man-made system and ideology and rather pursue the God of all, that it is he who establishes you. It is he who gives, who makes your steps firm. It is he who, when he opens up his hand, it says in scripture, he satisfies the hunger and the thirst of every living thing. And in this day and age, you want to know what the, the devil's main definition of is in scripture the deceiver you know a lot of us you say devil immediately it's like whoa you know but when you really break it down deceiver what is he trying to get you to do if I can get you to swear allegiance to gods of this world over the God of heaven then I've won if I can get you to serve the gods of man if I can get you to, to bow your knee to the things of this earth then you won't have room for the things of heaven See, that is what we're doing in this place today is recognizing that we don't swear allegiance to the things of this world because don't get mad at God when we pursue the fallen and then the fallen fails. But rather we choose the birth of a boy over the command of a king, the manger over the palace, the picture of all what the wise men are doing. They're in a palace with the king of Jerusalem, but we're going to a stable with the boy. Hey, come tell me afterwards where he's at. No, we've seen everything we came here to see. We're going to go home now. They chose a different king in a different kingdom. And I pray today that this next year as you celebrate Christmas and as you celebrate life, as you think about your year to come, that you would choose his king and his kingdom above any other king or kingdom on this earth. Because that is the gift He has for you. You have equal share. You have equal stake. There is a divine purpose and reasoning that he wants to speak to you, but you've got to be open-minded and open-hearted. And I pray today you would choose the king and the major more than any other king. Would you stand to your feet today? In closing, I want to read just really quickly Luke's account as we worship with one final song today. And in this, I uh, will just get weird for five seconds. I want us to practice that Greek word anamnesis. And if you remember, that's to call forth in remembrance in the mind's eye, meaning I want us to close our eyes and be present in this room. And as I'm reading this story, I want you to call forth in your imagination the picture that's being read out as you recognize 
and rest on what the gift of this boy is meant for you to hold. So let's read. Luke 2, verse 1. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quinarius was governor of Syria. And all the people were on their way to register for the census, each to his own city. Now Joseph also went up from Galilee, the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. He was there to be registered along with Mary, who was betrothed to him and pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock at night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood near them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. And so the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you, you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angels a multitude of the heavenly army of angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among people 